We're in a situation where we have put together, and you guys did, did it for our administration, the President Obama's administration before this. We have put together, I think, the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Welcome back to the BCP podcast. This picture here, this is the logo for the show. This is of me, James, the black conservative patriot. I think I'm about 15 pounds heavier in that picture than I am now. That was from last year, but my eyesight was better. Boy, is my eyesight failing me. I need to look into LASIK. This is not sponsored by LASIK. Big hug to all of y'all. I am tickled pink that I get to do this show for a fan base that supports me. You guys have no idea what a beautiful place it is to be in this situation where I am rejected by big tech for telling the truth. For goodness sakes, the beginning of my show is Joe Biden talking about rigging the election. And everyone else goes about their daily life as if the election wasn't stolen. And the beginning of my show, every single episode with very rare exception, is a reminder that Joe Biden is not the legitimate president of the United States, that they rigged and stole the election of 2020, and look at where we're at right now. And that true message and my unwavering in that truth resonates with you and that is why we have this show thank you very much for being here let's get into let's talk about elections and voting let's talk about what uh happened late tuesday night it was originally proposed that the house republicans would vote to censure uh talib on wednesday but they actually ended up holding that vote on Tuesday night. If you recall, Rashida Tlaib said, From the river to the sea is an aspirational call for freedom, human rights, and peaceful coexistence. <laughs> I mean, I'm, this is a tweet. But, but I guarantee you that she did it with a straight face when she tweeted this out. From the river to the sea is an aspirational call for freedom, human rights, and peaceful coexistence. Not death, destruction, or hate. Oh, yes, from the rivers to the sea is a peaceful thing. It's about jihadists and Palestinians living together in peace and harmony. Ebony and ivory, Israelis and Palestinians. Living in perfect harmony. 
you know, side by side on the piano. I mean, forget, forget the, uh, was it Stevie Wonder and Paul McCartney singing that song together? Just imagine Jihadi, uh, Jahid, and I don't know, um, Mr. Cohen, arm in arm, from the river to the sea, living in peace and harmony in Israel in the two-state solution. Ridiculous. Of course it's not. That's why Dan Bongino said, nothing to see here, folks. Just a U.S. congressional representative calling for Jewish genocide and mass murder. That was uh, four days ago, Dan Bongino responding to what Rashida Tlaib had said five days ago. That her work in advocacy is centered in justice and dignity for all people, no matter faith or ethnicity. Bullocks. BS. Hogwash. Whatever you want to call it. It's not true. And that is why, last night, the House of Representatives voted to censure Representative Rashida Tlaib. All right, we are back with CNN's live coverage of America's Choice 2023. We do have some breaking news, though, to share with you from Capitol Hill right now. Uh, A development there, the House of Representatives just voting to pass a resolution to censure the Democratic Representative Rashida Tlaib of Michigan over comments critical of Israel that she had made in support of Palestinians amid Israel's war against Hamas. She had defended the use of the phrase from the river to the sea, which of course is generally viewed as a call for the extermination, the elimination of Israel. She had defended the use of that phrase and now uh, the censure, which is a major and rare rebuke. The vote was 234 to 188. Four Republicans voted against, 22 Democrats voted in support of the censure resolution. Okay, let's, uh, let's let's look at what's going on here. Let's look at who were the people. Let's see. Here are the uh, the four. Here are the four rhinos who didn't uh, who voted no. Now I wouldn't necessarily call them rhinos. There there are some people who have made a, a good reason as to why they were not going to vote uh, for censure. That would be Ken Buck. Oh wait wait, he is a rhino. Sorry, Tom Massey wouldn't put him in the rhino category. Then John Duarte and Tom McClintock of California. I used to like Tom McClintock. Don't really keep tabs on him now that uh, I'm a Utah resident. Then there are 22 Democrats who bravely voted yes. I wonder why Steve Cohen would do that. Or Debbie Wasserman Schultz. But then you have 22 that voted yes to censure her. Since we're talking about uh, votes and elections... Uh, we've got Governor Bashir getting reelected, the Democrat in what used to be a pretty red state of Kentucky. I mean, come on, Kentucky is pretty awesome. They've given us Rand Paul. Oh, wait a minute. They've also given us, uh, that's right, I forgot, Mitch McConnell. Well, that didn't turn out exactly how I wanted it to. Yeah, that didn't work out the way he wanted because he lost. He lost Daniel Cameron lost. And that was his concession 
Let's uh let's get the uh, let's look at this news. Andy Bashir yet again. Well, look, uh, it has been such an honor to run as the Republican nominee for governor. Kentucky voters have re-elected Democratic Governor Andy Bashir. His challenger, Republican Daniel Cameron, the state attorney general, who's seen as a rising star in his party. Polls showed the two in a dead heat coming into today. Bashir is a second-generation governor, his father elected to two terms. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Kentucky has a reputation as a bellwether state, with its voters' choice matching the party of the next year's presidential winner in 2011, 2015, and 2019. All right, so you got Andy Bashir back. Good job, Kentucky. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I mean, really, at this point, do you trust any election? My understanding is Bashir got reelected, but the uh, Attorney General, Secretary of State, everything down ticket was red, but Bashir won. Also reporting that, uh, I'm not in Kentucky, don't know much about Daniel Cameron. Wasn't he a McConnell guy? A lot of people just didn't like him. But that was, I, I don't know about that because Mitch McConnell continues there. Could it be that they're rigging elections in Kentucky? I mean, hell, folks, we don't know. We don't know. Really, can you trust any election knowing what you know? Not just from 2020, but how they also did it in 2022. Look at Arizona. What an absolute shame. So we've got more shenanigans happening in Pennsylvania, Northampton uh, County voting machines hit by problems, glitch affecting the state judge retention races. That was uh, tweeted out early this morning. Election 2023, county executives livid at voting machine troubles, but confident in accurate count. Oh, the machines are broken. They don't work. They're glitches, but don't worry about it. We caught it. Nothing to see here. Everything's going to be okay, whether it's Pennsylvania or Arizona or Wisconsin or Nevada or Fulton County, Georgia. It's all going to be fine. Just a little glitch. We're so upset by it. We're livid. Oh, oh, but but nothing to see here. Everything is going to be honky-dory. Everything is going to be fine. Tonight, the Secretary of the Commonwealth says there were only a few isolated voting issues in PA. Northampton County's election office spotted a glitch with voting recording in the Pennsylvania Superior Court race. Officials said that when a voter would select yes or no on their ballot for one of the candidates up for retention to the PA Superior Court, the vote was recorded for the other candidate. As soon as I became aware of the issue, I reached out immediately and directly to Northampton County election officials and offered the department's full support and assistance. Now, what what could have caused, what could have caused these glitches to happen? Well, if you've been at the show, the BCP podcast, when it was called BCP Unfiltered, when I first started the program on Patreon, March 1st, 
2021, or if you're watching me on YouTube in November, December, January of 2020, when we could still somewhat talk about the stolen election, then this, this will sound very familiar to you. This little company right here, it says here, a flaw in Northampton's counting, county's voting machine forced multiple po polling places to turn emergency paper ballots Tuesday morning. A programming error with the county's ESNS Express Vote XL machines caused the names of the two judges to flip votes. According to a spokesperson for ESNS, an employee mistakenly mislabeled the Superior Court races when determining how they would print out on paper backups, swapping one name with the other. Oh, it wasn't ESNS's fault. Oh, it was just an issue. It, it was a employee or a, it was an employee error. ESNS, Smartmatic, names that are very familiar to us because they are in the thick of rigging elections and other electronic voter manipulation. Now, election officials say despite the glitch, the voters' correct choices were still properly recorded by the machine's backup system. So that means the votes are still accurate. Nothing to see here, folks. Move along, move along. Okay, how about, uh, how about Zelensky? What's the Zelensky been up to? Oh, you know, just canceling elections. We're sending a whole bunch of money over there. Corrupt. But, uh, you know, he wants the war to continue. And he's got to stay in power for that to happen. We are not ready to give our freedom to this terrorist Putin. All right. Uh, you know, this show is uh, generally PG-13. Might be R, but not because of something that comes out of my mouth. Um, but for those of you that speak Spanish, you'll you'll maybe understand this Uh but it sounds like he, he's saying this effing terrorist Putin. But because I'm bilingual and um, I, I, I hear the bleep terrorist Putin and my mind is like, shouldn't Putin, you know, because it sounds like P-U-T-A or P-U-T-O, shouldn't that be bleeped out? Because that's a strong word in Spanish. So I don't know. It's just me. For my for my Latino and or, or bilingual people or no the word, uh, you know, P-U-T-O or P-U-T-A, uh, maybe you can understand why that my my brain got scrambled there for a second. He goes, this beep terrorist Putin, but it almost sounds like Putin is, he's saying something else and that should have been bleeped out as well if they're going to bleep anything out. But they wouldn't bleep it out on an English, right? It would be if it was Spanish. Anyway, for my Spanish speakers, you'll understand what I'm saying. But I digress. Before you go, if you want to share, what keeps you going? Do you ever feel defeated? I have a lot of power. But even feeling strong and have a lot of energy, it doesn't mean that we want to fight all our life because the price is high, like I said, because the war takes the best of us. 
the best heroes, the best men, women, children. That's it. But we are not ready to give our freedom to this terrorist Putin. That's it. That's why we are fighting. That's it. Don't be fooled when Zelensky says Ukraine isn't ready to give up its independence to terrorist Putin. He's really saying he's not willing and ready to give up his power and rolling in dough and having it made like a king with all that U.S. and NATO money coming in the door. But this is his true color. Approaching the end of the term, Zelensky cancels next election. It's not the right time. It's not the right time. As long as he's in power, it's not the right time to even be challenged. Come on, folks. This is what they talk about when they say our democracy. It's their chosen. It's their selection, not elections. Ukrainian President Zelensky, who is up for re-election in the spring, announced on Monday that he has suspended his country's 2024 election. He said it's not the right time for elections. While he had previously not ruled out the possibility of an election in March, The Hill reported that he called for Ukrainian citizens to support him. And he had this video, and to wrap up his video address to his country, he said, So there you have it, folks. Now is not the right time for elections. So glad that Zelensky... Oh, man. So glad that Zelensky is a uh, is an honest guy. I'm sure glad he's someone that we can trust with our money, with our arms, and with elections because he really has. And finally, the waves of any politically divisive things must stop. We must realize that now is the time of defense, the time of the battle that determines the fate of the state and people, not the time of manipulations, which only Russia expects from Ukraine. I believe that now is not the right time for elections. He has the people of Ukraine and their best interests at heart. War is good. War is good for those that make money off of war. Okay, folks, I don't know if you know who Carolyn Glick is. She is an Israeli conservative journalist. You may have seen her name on Breitbart News and Jerusalem Post if you read that. Um, what she broke down on her show is absolutely incredible. You, you got to check this out. This is from several days ago, but I'm just now seeing this. Uh, the attack on Israel was supposed to be an all-out victory for the Palestinians. But the folks in Hamas and Gaza, they just like rape too much. And because of their bloodlust and their lust, they did not fall in with the program. And the plan that was supposed to be a two-pronged attack against Israel. All because they liked the Israeli ladies. Well, not like them like you and I like them. But because they like to rape them. You got to hear this. This is wild. Every day we learn a new story about the atrocities that the Palestinians committed in their assault on Israel. In their slaughter of October 7th. 
And every day, the Biden administration adds a new demand to their list, their ever-expanding list to curtail Israel's operational freedom in Gaza and ability to uh, to achieve its war aims. Yes. And every time there's a new story and we relive the trauma again, but we simply can't imagine, we, humanity, that this happened in Israel in 2023. This is, as Victor Davis-Hanton said on my, my show last week, this is pre-civilizational barbarism. This is something that nobody ever anticipated seeing in our lifetimes because nobody's ever seen this before anywhere. But here it is. It happened in Israel. They cooked a child to death. You know, as odd as it sounds or as ironic as it sounds, the bloodlust, the savagery of the uh, Palestinians from Gaza may have actually saved the state of Israel. Because as military strategist Yair Ansbacher said, um, he, he explained this week in, in an online analysis that he made, so the actual war plan was that Hamas and Hezbollah were supposed to attack simultaneously. This was Iran's plan to destroy Israel. They were both supposed to penetrate with thousands of, uh, of terrorists into Israel from the north and from the south, slaughter, but move on. And they were supposed to... Uh, uh, seize enough control over southern and northern Israel to paralyze the IDF for weeks. So in the south, they're supposed to take over just about areas that cover all of the Israel Air Force's uh, bases, uh, major airfields. Same thing in the north, a Dimona nuclear reactor also uh, in the south, and block the IDF from mobilizing at the same time that they have hundreds, if not thousands, of hostages in Lebanon on the north and in uh, Gaza in the south, and they've killed thousands and thousands of Israeli civilians. So that would be a strategic assault against Israel that could level the country. And that was the Iranian plan to defeat Israel in one day through this coordinated massacre. All right. So Carolyn Glick is very, very clear here. But the bullet points are, it was supposed to be this southern attack in Gaza was supposed to happen at the same time as a Hezbollah movement in the north in the West Bank. Supposed to happen at the same time. And it wasn't supposed to just happen that they would grab people and pick, take them back to Gaza. They were supposed to continue in further into Israel than they did in Gaza while at the same time coming in from the north, right? It's strategically a sound move. Now, to put this, in, uh, to, to fill in the blanks here, from the analysis that was made, this was planned by Iran. And this is a plan from back when Trump was president. It was actually Soleimani who was actually credited with this plan of how to defeat Israel in, in one day. I mean, not just totally, you know, win the war, but to have a very, very uh, huge impact day one, two-side attack, leave the IDF completely scrambling for weeks. But it only happened in Gaza to the south. And they didn't continue more north like they were supposed to do. Why is that? Why is that? This is wild. This is absolutely wild. Um, and in the end, why didn't it happen? It didn't happen for two reasons. It didn't happen because Hamas jumped the gun. They jumped the gun because they had this Nova musical festival uh, along the border, and they knew that thousands of young people were going to come in, and the prospect, the tantalizing prospect of mass rape of young Israeli women and of mass murder of young Israeli 
uh, uh, revelers, partiers, party goers in, in, at the music festival was like a raw steak in front of a lion's den. They just couldn't resist the temptation. So it was their bloodlust that made them jump the gun. They jumped the gun, and it wasn't just that they jumped the gun that they came too early and that Hezbollah didn't do it simultaneously, but also that they got stuck. They were supposed to progress to military bases far away from the Gaza border. They were supposed to take it, leave people behind, and then keep going, but they didn't. They stayed in these communities to burn and decapitate children and rape their mothers and murder their fathers and take people hostage to Gaza because they were so excited to be doing this. They were so happy that they forgot their strategic objective. So as they were murdering these Israeli civilians, they were confronted first by first responders, by these by these companies, by these readiness companies in the communities, and by Israeli soldiers who just came out of their own volition from these various commando squads that were able to stop them in their tracks, block them from proceeding so that over a thousand of these of these mass murderers were actually killed in Israel, and which is the majority of the force. We killed most of them. Our heroes did on the ground on the front lawns of their homes, and then uh, uh, the uh, the warriors who came as soon as they heard the news to to help with the defense. And it took the army, the real army, several hours to get its head together and come and do the work that they were supposed to be doing starting at 6.30 in the morning. So the the valor, the incredible courage of the civilians and of the, and of the commandos who came down were able to stop them because they were stuck in place due to their bloodlust, due to their desire, their priority that they put on slaughtering Jews over defeating Israel. So this was a miracle. In a, in a crazy, horrible, twisted way, the fact that they're such murderers, that the jihad is their soul, that what they want to do is just kill and kill and slaughter and slaughter and slaughter in the most heinous, sadistic ways possible, may very well have saved the state of Israel from, from, from annihilation on October 7th. Wow. It was their want to rape and pillage and get those young Israeli girls and kill and murder. And they were so bloodthirsty and lusty that they jumped the gun and then didn't even fulfill their mission. That's according to some analysis. Which, playing devil's advocate here, We've looked at this as this possibly being not a false flag, but, and some people believe it was a false flag. I don't believe that. I believe that Hamas really did do these things. But it sure seems like Israel knew that it was going to happen. But this sheds light. Perhaps they knew that this was going to happen, but they weren't expecting it to happen then because Hamas jumped the gun. I don't know. I don't know that part of it. But if this analysis is true, as it says here, as Richard Abelson breaks down, Hamas wanted to destroy Israel on October 7th, but their bloodlust and urge to rape partygoers spoiled their plans. Israel was saved from total destruction by a miracle. Iran, Hamas, and Hezbollah were actually planning to destroy Israel completely, but the mentally challenged animals of Hamas jumped the gun and ruined the plan, driven to a frenzy of rape and murder by the sight of scantily clad young women at the Supernova Festival. And that is a 
synopsis of what is being said here by Carolyn Glick. What are your thoughts? If you are on Patreon, Locals, or Spotify, put your comments. I'm curious to see what your thoughts are. All right, let's move over to London. Uh, I played for you in the previous episode satire parody of woke woke versus reality when it comes to Hamas, right? Uh, on that Israeli sketch show that I showed you in the previous episode. Well, this is another instance of woke butting up against Islam, pro-Palestinian Muslims, but this took place in London, and this really happened, and this is not parody. A far-less activist is shocked when he finds out that young Muslim women he marched with at yesterday's anti-Israel protest in London do not share his views on the LGBTQ plus issues. This guy is trying to propagate anti-LGBTQ, anti-LGBTQ propaganda. He's trying to tell children that they are not allowed to be trans. Yeah, they're not. Yeah, they're not. They're not. Stop your mum, bro. No, no, no. You're black. You're not punish one of man, my boy. Stop talking. Stop talking. Let him All right, for those of you listening to this on the podcast, let me visually explain to you what's going on. There's these pro-Palestinians protesters, and one of uh, them there's a protester that says, uh, billboardchris.com, children cannot consent to puberty blockers. So this woke Antifa guy, he's wearing all, he's wearing all black and he's got a ski mask and only see his eyes, but he's obviously a Caucasian uh, guy, uh, goes to these Muslim women and starts complaining about uh, this guy's signage. About this guy's signage. He's trying to propagate ant, uh, anti- LGBTQ propaganda. He's trying to tell children they're not allowed to be transgender. Uh, say what you want about conservative pro-Palestinian Muslims, but they are the exact opposite of woke. A woman who heard the whining liberal started roasting him. Yeah, they're not. Stop talking, bro. You have black nail polish on. You're a man, bro. Stop talking. So he tries to like the, the, this Antifa white guy tries to uh, try tries to. To, to say that this guy is anti-LGBTQ and thinking he's going to get solidarity from these Muslim women, and he doesn't. Another woman told the woke male that supporting trans ideology runs counter to the Islamic faith. In our religion, you can't do that. We don't agree. The group of females then turn around and demand that the activist identify what religion he belongs to. What do you identify as? And they say, are you Catholic or what have you? A shocked leftist refused to answer, <clears throat> and he walks away instead. And while he's leaving, a woman in the group then leveled one final insult. 
You identify as shite, my bro. Uh, Billboard Chris reacted with bemusement to the incident, noted that the masked man hurled an insult at him prior to his attempted brainwashing. Oh, wow, that was wild. Okay, let me, uh, let's, let's, I got a lot, I got a lot of stuff still to cover uh, in this uh, report. So I hope you're in for a longer haul. The Nashville Democrat mayor is outraged that the transgender mass shooters manifesto, you know, the Nashville manifesto, showed the killer was a leftist racist who wanted to murder privileged white crackers and he ordered the city legal team to investigate. Nashville's uh, Democratic mayor, of course, he's a Democrat, expressed express outrage after the manifesto was leaked to the public as it shattered the narrative that was being constructed about the incident. The manifesto shed light on the motive behind the horrific shooting that the transgendered murderer held a deep-seated racial bias and harbored intentions to target white individuals specifically. On Monday, as we covered in the previous uh, report, Louder with Crowder exclusively obtained the first three pages from the purported manifesto of Nashville shooter Audrey Hale. In a chilling revelation, the disturbing manifesto of Audrey Hale, who referred to her plan as Death Day, had been leaked. This document filled with, with malevolent, malevolent intent and a planned timeline contained a disturbing insight into Hale's thoughts leading up to the tragic event. Her ire seems particularly focused on kids who she pursued to be affluent. And she call, she said, Hale extended, Hale extended to a consistently embittered view of societal equity, demonstrating her deep-seated leftist anger. She wrote, Want to kill all you little crackers, bunch of little putos with your white privileges. See what I did there? I just brought in what I talked about earlier with Putin and Zelensky to this. She was a racist against whites. That doesn't play well when there's a narrative, now does it? So this is Freddie O'Connell, the outraged Democratic mayor. And now the world knows that the trans mass murderer hated white children. So following the release of the racist killer's manifesto, we have here the Nashville mayor's office announced that they were investigating how the manuscript was released to reporters. Oh, so what we're seeing here really is a soft, maybe not an overt, but definitely uh, a soft way of actually validating that in fact, those three pages are authentic. I have directed Wally Dites, Metro's law director, to initiate an investigation into how these images could have been released. That investigation may involve local, state, and federal authorities. I am deeply concerned with the safety, security, and well-being of the Covenant families and all Nashvilleans who are grieving. Jeremy Fison, the Tennessee House Republican Caucus chairman, said there never was a good reason to keep that monster's manifesto under lock, which is why I called for its release months ago. 
After reading this morning, I'm questioning even more why the anti-white racism and anti-Christian bigotry of Audrey Hale was covered up. We need answers. Hashtag Nashville Manifesto. Fox Nashville ran a uh, a poll. Should the Covenant school shooters' writings have been released at the start of the investigation? And people voted yes. 95.9% to 4.1%. So 96% of the people in uh, Fox Nashville readership voted for it to be released. Deets issued a response following Mayor O'Connell's inquiry stating that the department possesses minimal details about the leak. I cannot confirm or deny the authenticity of the documents due to the existing lawsuit, Deitz said, at the time of the request of the mayor. I am initiating a full investigation with multiple law enforcement agencies to determine exactly what happened. So they can't... uh, Ridiculous. Says he can't confirm the authenticity of the documents that he's been asked to investigate how they were leaked. If they weren't authentic there wouldn't be an investigation request by the mayor of their being leaked unless he's trying to say that the mayor doesn't know if they're authentic or not. Um, but this is uh, this is the further reporting we have on it. Metro Nashville Police Department said the images were not crime scene images and that it was working with Nashville's legal department in the investigation. Stephen Crowder then tweeted out, So they are confirming they are legit then. And then Fox Nashville did confirm breaking. This is uh, from Monday. Steven Crowder tweeting out breaking images confirmed authentic by Fox Nashville. Uh, Social media photos claiming to show some of the writings of the Covenant School shooter Audrey Hale are authentic. Fox 17 News has confirmed through a source. And then we have this from Candace Owens. Didn't know Candace Owens was going to get in the mix, but these bigger podcasters and show folks, they've got their own investigative teams. They are not a small shop uh, like I am here at the BCP podcast. And this is what Candace Owens tweeted out uh, yesterday, Tuesday the 7th. I just got word that two officers are due to be fired over the release of the National Manifesto pages. Allegedly, the documents were sold by one of the officers. Yesterday, I said that I wanted to wait to report on the release pages because while it was a major break, I felt the documents were incomplete, did not paint an accurate picture of what transpired given the amount of evidence we know was collected in the aftermath of the horrific shooting. I am glad I waited. Yesterday evening, I was contacted by a source with more concrete information regarding all the details of Audrey Hale's many notebooks and what her true motive was. I will be breaking this on my podcast today. Credit where it's due. This only happened because the Crowder team reopened this conversation in a major way by releasing the initial three pages of Audrey's journal. This was great work, which will lead to major answers for parents like myself who live in the Covenant community and have been infuriated by the lack of information presented to the public. Stay tuned. Okay, well, that makes sense. I had read this before, but... Uh, forgot that uh, that Candace Owens lives in the uh, the community there, thus her involvement. So she probably has her own sources as well. What I find interesting, and and I, I believe it was Alex Jones who said, and we've known that there's. I mean, this she was an an artist and a graphic person, and 
Seems like she was very meticulous and she had lots and lots of notebooks. She had lots of journals. But these three pages are probably more vital than many of the other things. They probably have planning and her psychology. But this is Audrey Hale saying this is a death day. She had her schedule. And also now we want to know where is that 10-minute video? It seems like she was pretty accurate in her timeline. So I guess we should believe her when she said that she was going to make a 10-minute video. Where is that video? Okay, I want to give a follow-up to the story I've been covering the last couple days. This is getting really strange. But let me just show you. NBC News reported, Man dies after hitting head during Israel and Palestinian rallies in California, officials say. That doesn't really tell you much. People were not happy with NBC News trying to cover it. So then they expounded with, Man dies after hitting head during Israel and Palestinian rallies in California, officials say. Witness said Paul Kessler was in a confrontation with protesters Sunday and fell and struck his head. The sheriff's department said he died Monday. People still weren't happy with that, so they changed it again. So the headline was even more detailed. Jewish man killed in an altercation at dueling pro-Israel and pro-Palestinian rallies in California. Witnesses said Paul Kessler fell and struck his head during a confrontation with protesters Sunday in Ventura County. The sheriff's department said he died Monday. Okay, so we're getting some updates uh, on here now. Now, I believe it said Paul Kessler was, was it 65 or 70-something? Well, now it's saying that they're saying that he was a 69-year-old man and that, in fact, this may have been an accident. He was not hit with a bullhorn. That the original pictures, as I reported in the last one, is not the actual guy who hit him, but it was a guy I showed in the video that was talking to the police. While investigators have identified a suspect in the incident, no arrests have been made. Ventura County Sheriff Jim Fryhoff said at a news conference Tuesday, witnesses from both sides of the protest have shared conflicting statements about what led to Kessler's fall and who the aggressor was, noting that the investigation is ongoing. So the pro-Palestinians are saying something different from the pro-Israel protesters. That should come as no surprise. What exactly transpired prior to Mr. Kessler falling backwards isn't crystal clear right now. We're working tirelessly to gather all the facts and evidence related to this incident. We will do everything in our power using every resource. So an autopsy did determine Kessler died as a result of blunt force head injury and ruled the manner of death a homicide. However, Young said the manner of death doesn't necessarily point, point to criminal intent, only that the death occurred at the hands of another person or the actions of another person contributed to the death of a person. So was he pushed? It appears that he fell down and hit his head, but if he was pushed, then that would be why it's uh, being investigated as a homicide. But he was not hit with a megaphone. That's what they're saying now. Young said Kessler suffered a fatal injury to the back of his head that was consistent with and typical of injuries sustained from a fall. Kessler had non-lethal injuries on the left side of his face, which Young said could have been caused by a blow to the face. So did the blow to the face come from the megaphone. Then he fell down and hit the back of his head. These answers hopefully will be answered uh, here shortly. Froyal said his deputies are investigating the, co- the case as a homicide and have not determined whether it was treated as a hate crime. The suspect who was, identif- who was identified only as a 50-year-old man from Moorpark cooperated with the deputies telling officials that he was involved in an altercation with Mr. Kessler. 
The suspect was among those who called 911 after Kessler fell, the sheriff said. So, they detained the suspect after a traffic stop in Simi Valley while investigators executed a search warrant at his home. He was later released. The sheriff said surveillance video from the Shell gas station adjacent to where the confrontation occurred did not capture a clear view of the incident. Authorities are asking the public to submit any video or images from that day. So they definitely want to get to the bottom of this and uh, we'll see what happens. Okay, a couple more stories I wanted to uh, cover. Uh, We haven't covered COVID in a little bit or the vaccine, but something from a few days ago that I didn't cover, but I, I found it to be interesting. Killer jab? Rasmussen reports say someone they uh, 24% say someone they know died from COVID-19 vaccine. Nearly a quarter of Americans believe someone they know died from the COVID-19 vaccine side effects and even more say that they might be willing to become plaintiffs in a class action lawsuit against vaccine makers. The latest Rasmussen reports national telephone and online survey finds 24% of American adults say they know someone personally who died from the vaccine. 69% don't know anyone died from being vaccinated against the virus. 42% say that if there was a major class action suit against pharmaceutical companies for vaccine side effects, they would likely join the lawsuit, including 24% who say it's very likely they'd join a lawsuit. So... Are they going to open up to lawsuits? Who knows? They are protected class. And now I want to end with this this uh, news report from ABC7. In light of all the crime that I've talked about, I've been talking about being armed. We've got Hamas, Hezbollah, ISIS terrorists within our midst. We've got criminal illegal aliens within our midst. We've got American citizen criminals within our midst. We've got people trying to snatch babies, hitting people with megaphones or pushing them, robbing, raping, and pillaging in broad daylight because you got people from Gascon to all throughout the nation, these George Soros-funded and leftist progressives, DAs and attorneys general that do not want to prosecute. So when someone comes into your home, even if it's in very stringent gun control, Los Angeles, California, you need to defend your family and be willing to die to defend them. Let me play you this because this father had the proper attitude and then we'll call it an episode and I'll be back tomorrow with more reporting. Watch this. Attempted home invasion caught on camera, but the unsuspecting homeowner winds up pulling a gun on his attackers. I'm Joy Rand. I'm Michelle Fisher. That homeowner speaking out about the frightening ordeal to Eyewitness News reporter Sophie Flay. She is live in Koreatown with that story for us tonight. Sophie. Michelle, we spoke to the man who defended himself and his family after two intruders tried to enter his home. He wanted to remain anonymous because this is still an ongoing investigation. Terrifying surveillance video shows a masked intruder with a gun run up to this mid-city man about to walk in his front door. The homeowner pulls out his gun to defend himself, firing shots at the two intruders, quickly entering a shootout. I guess they decided to try to come at me and come in the house, but I have a five-month-old baby and a wife, 
nanny in, in the house and uh, that wasn't going to happen. There was nothing in my house that was worth dying for, but I was willing to die for my family. There was nothing in my house worth dying for, but it was worth dying for his family. There was nothing in my house that was worth dying for, but I was willing to die for my family. Folks, no one cares for your family as much as you do. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but when the fit hits the shan, don't expect Uncle Sam to be your savior. You're on your own. Prepare accordingly. I'll be back. Thanks for being here with me. We're in a situation where we have put together... And you guys did, did it for our administration, the President Obama's administration before this. We have put together, I think, the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics. 